weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Thanks to the two Johnnies. It's Monday, the 30th of January, and this is Game On. Coming up today, Rory reads the decisive putt to win again in Dubai. And he's done it. Wonderful stuff from McElroy. What a start to the year. A winning start with a birdie-birdie finish. And he has captured the hero Dubai Desert Classic. More on that with John McHenry shortly. Meanwhile, in Gaelic football, Peter Canavan and Austin O'Malley are with us as the Allianz League returned at full tilt. Opportunity for Ross Common. The ball is knocked forward. Could be a goal here, and it's buried into the back of the net. Ross Common get the goal. Flashed into the back of the net, and it's Ben O'Carroll, the UCB student who drilled it low into the back of the net at the Ross Common fans. Well, they're in full voice now. He's had a terrific day, Ben O'Carroll. He scored the opening two points of the match on his league debut and it was at the end of that move to drill the ball low into the back of the net and that should be it in favour of Roscommon Plus in soccer Stephen Kelly on Everton's new manager Sean Dyche and that tackle on Evan Ferguson Ferguson plays to March Fabinho half stops him in his tracks but Brighton get it to Ferguson poor challenge from Fabinho through the back of Ferguson yellow card for the Brazilian if you look at it very closely that could easily be yeah. a red card that's endangering the, the health yeah. and safety of, a, of an opponent he was nowhere near the ball no it's awful nowhere near it man and ball ball and man it was all man, I'd say. Anyway, if you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at Game on 2 fm Game on on 2FM. Welcome along. We've a busy show because it was a busy weekend of sport. And as we usually do on Mondays, we're going to start with our sporting highlight. Um, mine was Rory McIlroy beating Patrick Reed. And I know that essentially he didn't beat him. He came first. He won the tournament, but he did beat him into second. And the fact that the good guy won, I like that. Every sport, I think, needs to have that villain and the hero. And Rory, for me anyway, is the hero. And he's not a hero for everybody because not everybody likes him. But I think in this case, it would be hard to not choose him as the hero over Patrick Reid. Yeah, that probably is the hero now because he's come out so strongly in defence of the PGA Tour and he was so anti-live and he's standing up for most things right I suppose mm. I, I think that's maybe what has turned plenty of people for him um, I was probably always a fan but that's probably stems back to maybe underdog against the person that's winning all the time what made you why would you think people are not with Rory McIlroy I think in the past because of his attitude to representing Ireland I think that did put a lot of people um, put a lot of noses out of joint um, was that not the most awkward thing of all time for somebody that's born in totally Northern was, Ireland. But I mean that doesn't mean that people are going to see logic, really. So I, I know, but like when you think about that logically, like that was one of the most I could you imagine being in that predicament? No matter which way you say there, you're going to insult a lot of people. Yeah. I think he's won back a lot of fans though over the last while because of his stance on live and this year it feels like there's way more people rooting for him than there has been in the past. Yeah. But it does make me wonder, Ruby, um Austin O'Malley's with us as well, we're going to bring him in in a second. Um when it comes to sport and having the good guy and the bad guy and there's loads of different examples if you look at Messi, Ronaldo um, there was the Johnny Sexton, Ron O'Gara I don't know which was the bad good uh, were you the bad guy in racing? <laughs> <laughs> Depends on whether you backed me or not and whether I won or fell um, good guy, bad guy oh, I don't know what's the famous line? good guys don't win oh I like that you're a winner 
Good guys don't win. Yeah. Was I think that the famous line? Was that well, a line in one of those movies or something? That's or something like a, along those yeah. lines anyway. I, I can see that been attached to you, Ruby. <laughs> don't get the prom queen, is that what he's saying? <laughs> uh, but would you... Um, would you... Oh, Lordy, has the... Good guys finish last, Ruby. Uh, same Lordy, same thing. Good guys don't win. Good guys finish last. Go. <laughs> same meaning. I just turned it around to my phrase. Do you think you were that guy, though? What do you mean? Was I the villain? Yeah. As in not nice to my rivals, competitors? No, just kind of perceived as being the villain. Not necessarily the villain, because as I've said numerous times on this show, once I got to know you, you weren't that bad. Oh, yeah. What's his bark's worse than his bite? <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't know. Was I the villain? I probably wasn't the friendliest in the world, but I was doing a job I wasn't overly yeah. worried about my um, I don't know Marie you kind of have me on the spot here I don't know maybe I was a villain to be honest with you I don't look back and think I should have been nicer um, tell you to go on the street from a neutral Ruby I, I think looking in edge I would say mm. I always thought you had a really you know a, a serious edge in terms of being you know an ultra kind of competitor and that so maybe that can be uh, I think you, it's nice to beat those guys yeah absolutely so you, you probably you were always riding with a target on your back but um yeah, edge would be a word I, I would put into the same lexicon. Yeah, as and well. I suppose, Austin, I look at people and I probably look for the people with an edge, now that you say it. Yeah. I do, I would have looked at that by... I mean, pick the good guy between Ronnie and or between Johnny and Ronan. Like, the two of them are of an edge. Yeah. There's no... <laughs> so, it's like, it's not that one of them is a good guy, it's a my Ronan Lagara fan or a Johnny Sexton fan. Like, the two of them had unbelievable edge. Like, I mean, you can look at it and say, Asher, the Gooch was a lovely fella, but the Gooch had some edge to him too. Mm. Absolutely. So did Henry Shefflin. Yeah. yeah. But I guess when you're thinking of villains in, let's say, getting football, you're looking at Dear McConnelly kind of thing, you know? Um, yeah. Another anyway. guy would be in the way. No, I'm not. Yeah. No, not to your face anyway. Um, Austin, did you have a sporting highlight? I, I actually I did, yeah. I suppose it was, it was an action-packed weekend and Rory's obviously stood out as well. I suppose looking at Jok- Djokovic and... Uh, oh, yes, speaking of bad guys. Yeah, speaking <laughs> of bad guys. But um, even looking at the FA Cup yesterday, uh, Mitoma's uh, goal against Liverpool knocking them out. But I think probably um, Saturday evening in Castlebar, Ryan O'Donoghue's finish um, in injury time. Mm-hmm. You know, his coup de grace to snatch something from that game for Mayo, particularly under them, they're under new management coming in. Uh, and they were, you know, they were under serious pressure to get something out of that. Uh, and I just think, in terms of the character that he showed to step up, it's probably something Mayo missed last year. In terms of he was out, he was injured, but he had um, he had shanked one prior to that. And you know, I just thought it, it was great courage to step up again and and and, and take it on. So he would definitely be my uh, sport and highlight. I think of the weekend. In a strange sort of way, my sport and highlight was probably editor de Geet winning the Clarence House Chase to watch Josh Moore who got a bad fall during the summer and broke his leg and the fat in his fibula no femur leaked into his blood system and he ended up looked like he was going to die and he spent weeks in intensive care in hospital and entry and then was moved from there to London and like the the word was that Josh was not in a good way and he wasn't and he eventually turned the corner and made a full recovery now he's never going to ride again um, but he is assistant to his father Gary and to watch him walking in behind editor the Geet after he had won the Clarence House on Saturday they kind of thought yeah good guys do win wow that's, that's amazing incredible. yeah yeah that was my highlight okay that was a good one right 
Well, we move on to uh, back to my highlight again. It feels like it was yesterday, but it was actually this morning. But I think just because a lot, a lot has happened. I was sitting yesterday watching the golf channel, and I'm thinking round three live. <laughs> I'm thinking this is Sunday. Yeah. So how is it round three and live? <laughs> uh, well, I'm the exact same now, and. Um, even the tennis, though it happened yesterday morning, it feels like it was days ago. Well, John McHenry is with us on the line now to talk about Rory McIlroy sinking that 15-foot birdie putt on the 72nd hole to pip Patrick Reed and win his first start of the season in thrilling fashion at the Hero Dubai Desert Classic. John, did you enjoy it as much as we did? Oh, it was fantastic. You know, I mean, I think it had, the drama was building all week, you know, and... Um, Obviously, for Reed and McElroy to come down the, the closing stretch, and fair juice to Reed and putting it up to McElroy, but for McElroy to respond, then obviously, for everything that has gone on, I think it really would have been one of uh, even McElroy's highlights. I think you nailed it there. The drama that was building all week, and even though it wasn't maybe the the big deal that everybody made it out to be, it was still a lot of drama. There was a huge amount of focus, and those two, John, were pitched against each other um, over the whole weekend. Yeah, I think I think there's a longer history there. I, I think Reed is a very controversial character, but he seems to play brilliantly in adversity. Um, and I think that Rory hasn't been shy about calling out the live players for quite some time now. And, and you know, um, Reed would be one of the one of the main stalwarts on that live tour in terms of him being a vocal character. But um, I think that you know, there's a lot of bad blood between the live players and and the rest. And you know, for whatever reason, Rory has become a spokesperson for the PGA Tour and an anti-live, um, you know, I suppose personality is big public spats with Greg Norman. So, like, he's coming in here with a target on his back and, you know, with with all the live players mounting that leaderboard, it was up to him to, just, to uh, I suppose, to win, win the day and, um, you know, for him to deliver uh, the first time ever, he, I think he's won a tournament uh, first time out. And I think that, you know, that, that it's just a great achievement and I think that... Um, you know, thankfully, I think the DP Tour will be thrilled that, that he pulled through. Yeah, they will. Well, he spoke to Sky afterwards. Let's hear from him. I, you know, I give myself an opportunity the first week back out. And, uh, yeah, you know, I, I again, as I said, I manage my game well. I definitely feel like there's tons of room for improvement. Um, but it's a, it's a great... Uh, it's a great start to the year. It's no secret that there's been a lot of noise surrounding this week. Uh, given, I guess, who was in the chasing pack, did that spur you on? You know, I, I think mentally today was probably one of the toughest rounds I've ever had to play because it would be really easy to let your emotions get in the way. Um, and I, I just had to really concentrate on focusing on myself, uh, forget who was up there on the leaderboard. Um, and, and I did that really, really well. Um, you know, I, I feel like I, I showed a lot of mental strength out there today. And again, something to really build on for the rest of the year. Look, I'm going to enjoy this. This was a, you know, this is probably sweeter than it than it should be or needs to be but um i feel like i've still got some stuff to work on and but it, you know as i said it's a it's a it's a great start to the year and uh you know a really good foundation to work work from sweeter than it should be or needs to be john that's just the situation they're in isn't it oh absolutely um you know i think that uh, if we look at uh, uh, for whatever reason, Ruby, you'd, you'd well know. I mean, Roy seems to be just maturing into this unbelievably um, tough competitor. I mean, I think we've always known he's probably the best driver of the golf ball um, in the game of golf. But I think over the last couple of years, you know, we're seeing an outspoken guy who's not afraid to speak his mouth, but at the same time, back it up with the game of golf. I think he mentally he's proven he's become much, much stronger on the golf course. I think even today we've seen 
how strong his pitching has become but I think probably the big big one for him over the last number of years is just how consistently good a putter he has become and I think that um, you put all those things together he's the favourite going into tournaments he expects to win and, and he's delivering on a, on a regular basis now Drive for show and you put for dough but just looking at him for the case he's making for the PGA Tour for how outspoken he's had to be for him to carry for that to carry weight coming from him he has to back it up with these wins and into the majors this year it's a long time since yeah absolutely and, and you know I mean I think there's no doubt about it he's going to go into Augusta um, as the favourite but I think that where before you know you always just felt well if he gets his putting right and if he gets this right and he gets, I just think that all those things are out the window now I honestly think that um Rory's got no excuses now. I think that as long as he doesn't get into any major spats that really kind of hit the headlines and put him under even more pressure, I think that he'll be very comfortable going into the major championships this year. And I think that I, I, I'd be very, very surprised if this isn't the second phase of his career where he goes on multiple wins in major championships. John, he said himself that he didn't let his emotions get the better of him. And in the past, they have in different situations. Is there a case there for maybe the distraction of everything that's going on helping his game? Well, I, I, I would argue yes. I, I mean, I think that, you know, you know, Rory and Tiger, OK, but Tiger's gone off the scene now. But, I mean, Rory has been literally the spokesperson for the last 15 months. And I just think that it has rallied him. I think that he, he, has, he has actually cherished the... The fight and 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 I think with that his performances have just gone through the roof and um, you know this is what I I keep saying that you know before it, there was this level of expectation on him now he started saying well not only not only am I going to put some pressure on you know by or accept pressure from other people but I'm going to put some more pressure on myself as well and he's delivering and I think that um, you know I I just I just see that this is just another phase of Rory's uh, of Rory's golfing career and I think where he was probably the most naturally talented golfer, you know, after Tiger Woods, you know, to come to come through the scene. I think now he's become one of the most complete golfers in the world, and I think that he he, he has a great self belief anyway. But I think now he he honestly believes that you know there there's no reason why he can't win in in any circumstance, and uh, you know he's already admitted today that this wasn't his A game coming in this week. So you know it bodes very very well for him. It most certainly does. If I take it back to yesterday, John. Patrick Reed with his binoculars looking yeah. up in the tree for his golf ball. What did you make of all of that? So I, I look. I mean, I'm I'm long and arguing. There's there's a couple of things, and Ruby, you you'll understand the power of money in sport. Um, you know, I would say probably if you would go back eight years ago and would say Liv came into golf and they were offered the European Tour, you know what what they're offering golf at the present moment time. The European Tour would have bitten their hand off um, to to actually be part of that. Having said that, I think that you know we have the spat. But what, Patrick Reed is this individual who has got a, a checkered history in, in this. We, in, in, in Tigers tournament in 2019, there was a room, you know, it was quite obvious that he had kind of pushed a bit of sand out of the way. In 21, he lifted a, what he claimed was an embedded ball, and yet we'd seen the television had seen it bounce. And yet, there, there seems to be a blind eye thrown to some of these irregularities. And I think that, uh, you know, if I was the tour yesterday, um, I would have suspended the, the call on that and I would have literally gone up that tree and I would have examined that tree to see if that, if that ball was found. And I think if it was, I would have presented it to him this morning and said, look, you've got a case to answer here because very obviously, and the rule is very, very clear in this, you can't, you can't surmise that it might be your ball. You have to be absolutely sure that that, that, that is your ball. And I think, you know, Pandit Chambly did, did, a, did a good job there. 
in terms of clearly identifying that well, 99% sure that, that, that he picked the wrong tree. But I think that more importantly, the tour is just a little bit easy on some of these players. And I put Tiger in that category, you know, in the Masters a number of years back. He took a bad drop and it was, you know, to everybody, every professional in the game, uh, he took an illegal drop. Um, but, you know, he's the biggest biggest name in the, in the world of golf. And, you know, they, they turned a blind eye to this. So I think you've got to be consistent across the board here. You're you're right or you're wrong. And I think that the game deserves an awful lot better than, than it's being served up by maybe... Um, officials who are slightly influenced by an occasion. Golf, you always sort of were supposed to rule on yourself. Yeah. So basically, the way the world is going, does that rule have to change? Well, absolutely. I mean, you, you've got to be called out. Um, but at the same time, I think that, uh, you know, you, you, you very clearly have an individual in Patrick Reed. Uh, you know, on one side, he is... It, it, he's in that competitive mode and he's prepared to do whatever it takes to actually stay competitive. And I, and I disagree with that fundamentally. I think that's where somebody has to call him out and has to step above him. But secondly, you know, for all the pressure he, he loads on himself time and time again, my God, is he a great competitor. And you then wonder, Ruby, like, why the hell's name do you need to be putting yourself in these positions when you're actually a brilliant competitor as it is? You know, um, so I, I personally think that, you know, the way Reid is going, he's going, to get, he's going to get some sort of a massive suspension at, at some point John, from the game because he's doing it too regularly. You mentioned earlier just about how he thrives in that adversity and it's like the more drama, the more people against him, uh, the more controversies he's in, the, the more he's able to cope with everything around him as well. Have you ever encountered anybody like him in, in all your career? Uh, I, I think I think he would definitely have found people who have always used the rules to their advantage. I think that Sebi would be a great person, never a cheater, but certainly somebody who understood the rules absolutely and maximised the potential of them. But I think that, he, you know, in Reid, even with his, his most recent defamation suit against the PGA Tour, here's a guy who just goes literally out on a limb and, and, and is almost brazenly challenging people to obstruct him. And I think that... Uh, you know, I, I, I don't think it's good for the game because I think that, you know, the players, the players don't want to call out players like this because they don't want to alienate themselves against, you know, and it's not their role. Yes, they can point out the fact, and Rory would be the first to say, I think that that was wrong. In fact, in my opinion, I think if Rory, okay, was playing with Patrick Reed yesterday and if Rory knew that that ball went up the first tree, let's just say an official said to him, I'm pretty sure it went up that first tree. I think Rory would, wouldn't let Patrick Reed get onto the 18 tee box. You know, he's that type of a character. But then again, you know, the show goes on, and this is a show, and this, mm-hmm. and you know, and and and, th- and this this was attracting headlines. And at times, the headlines are more important than actually the you know the honesty of, of, of things. Even when you just rewind a, a few days, the fact that he would go up and expect Rory McIlroy to say hello to him and shake his hands, just given. The, um, the, that he'd subpoenaed him only a few months before on Christmas Eve when he yeah. was, should be enjoying uh, the time with his family. Like, What does that say about a person that they think that, oh, well, you know, we could still be pals after this? So strange. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny because I, I just think you think, yeah, I just think he's in his own world and I think that, you know, it's, it's the world according to Patrick Reed and, you know, he just believes that he can do whatever he likes and, um, you know, I, I, I've... I have to say I've always been a phenomenal fan of Rory McIlroy, but I just think that what he's taken on himself in the last number of years, the honesty which he's approached things and how he's called up things, you know, he has, not only does he have um, 
you know, you you got to remember in his early career, he would he would have loved you know maybe the opportunity if his career wasn't going well to actually get all these millions and millions of dollars that that they were paying out. But having said that, he's taking on not only you know um, all of all of his friends who we've played Ryder Cups with, but probably he's taking on you know a real real tough component in Greg Norman who has mm-hmm. finished his career. And, is, and has got all the money to shout and take on any legal challenges that might come his way. And I think that, um, you know, he hasn't shirked, he hasn't moved away. And, uh, you know, it's just an awful pity that maybe the tours themselves take more ownership of that space because the likes of Patrick Reed is just the, the, the person maybe this week and next week it could be Justin Johnson, even though Justin Johnson is a gentleman. He will, Rory will have a lot of battles to fight. Austin O'Malley's with us in studio as well, and he is a performance coach. When we're talking about um, Patrick Reed there and the fact that he just seems to be so comfortable in the chaos of the world that he lives in, able to perform, is there some sort of a, like a scientific term for this? I, I think what he's probably channeling there is in terms of he's garnering more attention. You know, and some guys will often seek that, uh, you know, in order to kind of narrow their focus and it, it brings them to a higher level uh, in, in terms of their game and that. But um, I suppose what he is trying to unearth there is like the idea of sort of bringing out his inner peacock. And I think in terms of he's, he's you know, that he is you know, garnering that extra bit of attention. He's game playing a little bit and he's using it. He's clearly a guy that kind of likes this and when he's front and centre, he draws a lot of energy from that and he ratches up a little bit of pressure on himself and it, 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 it generally tends to work in his favour. Now, he's not maybe, you know, um, gaining any extra fans from it, but I think he kind of likes that little bit of an edge, a bad boy, um, and here I come. And that can feed in. Obviously, golf is a it's a pretty, you know, isolatory game and you're on your own, so you've got to manage that element of it as well. But he seems to be drawing energy from it. Like, But on the counter of that, just picking up the earlier point around... <clears throat> Um, Rory like he just seems to have got real emotional maturity over the last number of years and I think that that's served him well it probably as an athlete it takes you a while to get that uh, and there's many things you'll go through maybe from a mental skills uh, framework before you kind of get to a level that you are that kind of emotional back, black belt and you're emotionally secure but he seems to be able to deal with things a lot better like I would be a Rory fan and for years I would have looked in and thought you know clearly very very talented but sometimes you just got so frustrated with him because you just seen him you know flip flop through things but I, I just think from what we're seeing lately of him like um, he's been his levels of consistency has been excellent um, and I think that there's so much more in him I think in terms of that mm-hmm. as well John I think Austin has hit the nail on the head there the consistency so when you listen to Rory's interviews in the last 12-18 months there's a different tone to them it was always no matter what happened I played well. That's changed. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, even there's an honesty about what he's talking about. Um, you know, and, and it's calm and it, it, it's not defensive. It, it's very clear. I mean, I think Rory is on a mission for the last number of years. I think that, um, you know, I, I think he's always been a person who's done his own thing. But, but I think that he is putting the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together now. And I think that... Uh, you know, he's comfortable in married life. He's very, very comfortable um, in, in terms of his caddy on his bag, which I think he would have got a, copped a lot of flack from originally with Harry Diamond. Um, but at the same time, I think that he is, here is a guy who now is looking at things and he, he knows that he doesn't have to be perfect this week to win, but more importantly, he doesn't have to be this perfect this week. He has to be perfect in, at Augusta in a number of weeks' time. And I think he's building that, that, that train now and I think that 
one of the big things that I, I always felt about Rory is that when Rory plays a lot of golf, he plays his best golf. Some people, when they, you know, Tiger had this unique ability to maybe play two events, step away for five or six weeks, and, and play again. But Rory, Rory's playing. He's got a scheduling right. He, 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 he's going around the world. He's being a brand ambassador for right around the world for the tour. And I think just as that emotional maturity thing, as Austin said, is just quite remarkable now. Well, John, it was great to listen to you. I think it was the emotional wreckage of the last Ryder Cup that seems to have changed Rory McIlroy myself. He seems to be a different man ever since, but um, I hope that we are talking to you more often about him because what an ambassador for Ireland he is and the whole country, not just 26 counties of it. Thanks a million, John. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. We are turning our attention to Gaelic football. Austin O'Malley is with us in studio and Peter Canavan joins us now on the line. Peter, first of all, just given the anticipation and excitement of the return of the Alliance League, do you feel it delivered sufficiently? I think it did, Marie, for considering, <coughs> excuse me, I'm, a, I'm still a bit hoarse from uh, <laughs> the throne game yesterday, uh, trying to make my voice heard among a noisy Roscommon support and, Hyde, and Dr. Hyde Park wasn't easy. But um, I think it was a good weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the the 16 games across the the four uh, divisions, I would say out of the 16 games, every one of them, bar maybe two or three, were really competitive. And that's what we uh, expect. And that's what is always so attractive about the league. Teams are playing against teams of similar ilk and and all games are really competitive. Not only that, but the quality of of some of the games. i seen the highlights last night. I was at Castle Bar. I thought... For the end of January, Mayo and, and Galway put up a brilliant spectacle. The quality of the football, the hits, the, the high fielding, there were some great scores, some great goals. And that appeared to be the case um, across the board. So for weekend one, yes, a, 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 a positive outcome for the GAA. Yeah, you touched on that there. Like it is the end of January, and to see so many teams and players delivering like that in the shape that they're in, it was phenomenal, really. I'd say it's very different to January's from when you were playing, Peter. Uh, I didn't play in too many January. That tells us my, all we need to know. My wee ankles. My wee ankles just couldn't have stood that pressure. Peter, you mentioned Tyrone, and we may as well start with Tyrone and Roscommon because you were there, and it's not this, the start that Tyrone wanted. And I think maybe following on from um, the way last season played out, it's probably not where Tyrone want to be. Are you concerned about the form and maybe? the fact that we're seeing a lot of the Tyrone players, you know, when it's not really the same as other counties when some players are, are injured or not back yet, it does feel like you're nearly where you should be. Well, that's right. Sean Chabner made the point last night that it was very worrying from, from a Tyrone perspective and uh, I would have to agree with him because unlike, for example, Dublin, who had been resting a lot of those mm-hmm. players in, in the pre-season competition, I think in the three competitive games, Dublin may have used 45 players already thrown haven't by and large they've fielded fairly strong teams in the McKenna Cup got to the final so we were up and running and we were expecting a victory in Roscommon and you talk about fine margins we were three points up halfway through the second half Darren McCurry had a great goal chance the ball just slipped out of his grasp and hence the, the chance of going six clear with a strong breeze went and from that moment on you know Roscommon took control and they were by far the better team in, in the last 10 minutes and, and deserved the victory but yeah from, from a throne perspective 
um, it is, it, it, it's worrying. Um, they don't appear to be playing as a unit at the minute. They're tiring badly. And I, I think it's too simplistic just to say fitness is a problem in, in the last couple of games. Um, and we played Donegal next um, Sunday and it's imperative from a throne point of view that we get a result there, we get points on the board because there's a lot of really difficult games uh, coming up after that and uh, we certainly don't want to be uh, fighting a relegation battle um, come March. Yeah, nobody wants to be in uh, Division 2, that's for sure. I just want to pick up on something you said there, Peter. The fact that they're not playing as a unit. And I know in the past people have made a lot of how competitive the club championship is in Tyrone and that it is uh, very hard for for players to come together again after going through something that was is usually very very competitive is probably the uh, the best way to to say it. But do you think that that's a factor? I don't really. I don't really, Marie, because... Yeah, a, a lot of counties are, are competitive, but when these boys come back and, and when they put on the county and they train together, I, I think they're working very hard. Um, you can't dispute that. They're, they're putting the shoulder behind the wheel, but results aren't showing that um, at the minute. You know, The only thing that you would say is that it is early days. Um, will we be talking about this? come the round robin um, and you know I expect that all teams in Division 1 will make it so regardless of league performances regardless of how you perform in the Provincial Championship if, if you're in Division 1 you're still going to make mm-hmm. the round robin stage that's that's when you need to be stepping it up and producing your best football so look I'll, I'll be optimistic and say that uh, with the people that we have on board behind the scenes that they will manage to, to, to get things sorted, pull it together and slowly but surely we'll, we'll start to climb back up the table again. Lost them for Roscommon. Tyrone come to Roscommon and they managed to put three eleven on them. We're looking at the downside maybe of Tyrone but what about the upside for Roscommon? I think it's huge you know obviously Davey Burke has come in there um, and he's kind of brought I'd say a new bit of energy and spirit to Roscommon like he's unearthed a couple of new players like Ben O'Carroll looked very very bright and smart so I think he's a young guy he's obviously featured with UCD this year as well and he looks to be up and at it he clipped one too um, but the way he I thought the way Davey Burke used his bench yesterday in terms of he unloaded into Smith Kieran Murta Tony Smith in and they finished really really powerful um, I think the fact that they they managed to to to, to put three eleven um, on Tyrone, you know, and they they seem to get a lot of space and um, just you know we normally associate Tyrone defence as being teak tough and kind of claustrophobic, but I thought they punched holes in them, you know, a little bit too easy, and there wasn't enough of heat on the shooter the shooters at times. So like I, I think Davy Burke will take huge energy from this, and and all of Roscommon will in terms of the way they have. Uh, managed themselves and gone about their business they played a lot of great football even the performance of Niall Daly from wing back he ghosted up the field and kicked three unbelievable scores so you know he's been a real mainstay of of, of their you know I suppose their, their their bigger performances in the last year so they can take huge huge uh, energy from that like Roscommon I think looked at a stat during the or was it this morning they've only had two victories in their last 18 Division 1 league games while they've been up there so to get one on the board straight away in Division 1 is big you know Huge for them Peter you mentioned Donegal were next up for Tyrone they faced alright an understrained Kerry without the Cliffords yesterday afternoon but they did gift Kerry a goal and still managed to beat them so I can't imagine Bri- uh, Fergal Lohan and Brian Doher are too optimistic about taking them on 
No, but the only thing is, Ruby, that they know these Donegal boys inside out because so many of them, we've had serious clashes at, at Andre's level down through the years. So these players have come up against them so many times before. And I know Donegal are missing a right few players that performed in the championship last year, but all the lads, the majority of them that played yesterday, have a championship experience. So Throne certainly will not be underestimating them. And the other thing about about their victory yesterday, the morale in, in Donegal prior to this game wasn't brilliant and that a lot of people were running them down. There was a debacle over the appointment of, of the, the new managers. It took a long time to get it sorted. And morale certainly wasn't high. So to be five or six points down against Kerry and to turn it around in the manner that they did. And and for Paddy McBrady, who was, you know, has to emulate Michael Murphy and following his footsteps as captain of this Donegal team for him to produce that match winning score in the manner that he did will be a massive fill-up for, for Donegal and, and for their supporters so you're, you're right um, throwing that underestimate them and it's going to be a massive game in Oma next weekend Austin when you think about the teams that had a lot of questions to answer Definitely Donegal were one of them because of all of the uncertainty around the appointment and then the uh, rumour mill that was in full flow and you could see the effect that it had on Paddy Carr already. He was so emotional in his interview after the game. I'd say just given all of the noise from outside, just getting that win on the board, getting the points and seeing the players as well, you know, you could see they were emotional too. It just meant so much to them. Absolutely, yeah. He was quite emotional afterwards, you know, something we don't often see, I suppose, a, a man of his experience and, you know, what he has been through before with, with, with you know, in club seasons and, and what he's done. But, um, like, it's a huge, huge win for them because obviously, as, as the guys alluded to there, like, it was a, wi- a winter of discontent in terms of Michael Murphy stepping away. And as, as Peter alluded there, there was a debac- debacle around, you know, it was a really kind of protracted process of getting a manager in place. And then there was, you know, um, definitely noise coming out that, you know, the player group wasn't happy and all that. So to actually get a, a, a victory there and in the manner they'd done it and the, the fight and the spirit they showed is huge. And, like, Paddy Carr referenced in the interview after as well like he was you know to give these young guys a freedom to go and express themselves and there was a bit of sort of um, you know that kind of up and at it at the end there where they just kind of took the shackles off and cut loose and like in terms of what he blooded there like Johnny McGrady Caelan you know McCulgan and, and Mark Curran, all of those guys they, they made a significant imprint on the game so he's unearthed a little bit of talent there as well but I suppose at least we forget as well that Aidan O'Rourke is, is, is a very good wingman in there and an excellent coach so I'm sure um you know that they're they're tapping into those reserves of 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 you know that we all know Donegal um, have have a lot of good footballers around the place in in, in terms so it's about mould and that but it's a massive win now there was obviously a little bit of controversy at the end in terms mm. of the point that was allowed that, uh, you know that was that was allowed that Jack O'Connor was visibly upset at the end and he thought at this level of Division One football it shouldn't have been and the officiating should have been a little better but you know you've 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 got to take these things too yeah and I think if it was two on the other foot I'd say Jack O'Connor would absolutely (laughs) take it Um, Peter just one thing that came to light over the weekend was that um, Jim McGuinness has taken a few training sessions with Down they are due to play Donegal in the Ulster Championship when it rolls round Um, he's not part of the backroom team um, Conor Lafferty said but he did say that he has been um, in with the team can we read anything into this and do you think it's a good idea to have um, people of that stature coming in giving training sessions this early in the season well, it is early in the season, but um, when you have someone of, of Jim McGuinness's calibre and, and, and stature willing to do that, um, mm-hmm. I think you'd be foolish 
uh, not to take uh, take him on board and if he's prepared to help out at this stage and I suppose what Down are hoping that uh, if he gets his foot in through the door if he sees that the players are applying themselves and responding to, to his promptings then you know there's a good chance that he might come back and that, and that he might be more involved so you know you can see where, where Conor Laverty mm. and, and, and the Down men are, are, are coming from so young and plus the, the other thing you mentioned it is Donegal that uh, mm. that they're playing further down the line. So it, I would think that he would be hoping, well, if we get this man involved, we'll be very well <laughs> placed when it comes to setting up a game plan for, for the Donegal man. Take every advantage that's going, Peter, isn't that it? Every little uh, bit of uh, nugget uh, you can get, just Robert. <laughs> Austin, you mentioned Ryan Donahue. The... Sorry, Peter, go on. Sorry, sorry, Ruby. I was going to say it's all about getting the nose over the line, but you know what? <laughs> I'm telling you, and it's going. Any bit of info you can get, you just cannot have enough of it. I'm telling you, Marie. Nice Brian, or, yeah, Austin, you mentioned Ryan O'Donoghue at the top of the show, and he's led equaliser for Mayo. But will Galway have headed back across from Castlebar, thinking, how do we let them back in? Uh, probably yeah you know I suppose they coughed up a bit of possession cheap at the end and it was a game that you know looking on the balance of it you probably thought with what goal we had out uh, and the the firepower that they had around the place that they probably could have left Castlebar with the win Park Joyce did look a little bit disappointed at the end um, it's a game they, they probably should have seen out um, as I said they, they gave the ball quite away quite cheaply in the end so like Mayo will take great strength from that, and, and you know, from being able to dig in and hang in and 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 find a way to 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 get something out of that. And it's you know, it's something that probably Kevin McStay and his backroom team will be delighted with. Like they're coming in, obviously, there's there's always pressure in Mayo to deliver, um, and they're a new setup. So to 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 you know, as 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 both you will know, like it's a, it's a completely different dressing room when you come in after that. You know after snatching something late mm-hmm. in a game as opposed to coming in when it's when you lose you know so it makes it makes the weeks ahead a, a little uh, well the week ahead a little bit easier and so on but um yeah certainly i think all we will be a little bit disappointed that they didn't probably see see it out Peter, given the conversations around Mayo heading into this league, the fact that they have so many different uh, coaches in their backroom team, there was an expectation that we might see a different type of Mayo team when they headed out into the pitch from a style of play point of view. Did we see a different Mayo, do you think? Um, to be honest, I struggle to see a different Mayo. They, By and large, they, they still persisted with their, their running game and that's where most of their scores came from I'd say one score uh, happened in the first half whereby the ball was kicked in from distance to Ryan O'Donoghue and he kicked it over the bar apart from that there was very little kick pass and in fact I referenced that at half time that uh, Paul uh, Conroy in midfield for um, Galway actually kicked past the ball more himself than the Mayo team did inside to their inside forward line and I suppose there's a couple of reasons for that number one you need a good target man in there and Ryan O'Donoghue probably, of course, he likes the ball in front. Um, he's not a massive ball winner from that regard compared to the likes of Damien Comer. Another thing is you've got to have comfortable kickers out around the middle of the park or the half-back line. And maybe Mayo just don't have that at the minute. Um, but for me, the real Mayo, and, and if Mayo were going to hurt teams and do something this year, I think it, uh, there's three players that uh, it's vital for them to have on the pitch and that's up front as Tommy Conroy, um, Killian O'Connor and Ryan O'Donoghue and until you see them three together and if they can link up and, and perform then they will really uh, you know, really add to the natural running game that that, that Mayo have um, but 
you know, at, at its early days to be judging, you know, Kevin McStay. But the most important thing from his per- perspective was that there's still that Mayo fight and, and tenacity, when, you know, still very evident in the closing stages. They wanted to get a, a result of some sort and their persistence, you know, paid off eventually. Peter, we've watched the game evolve in the hand-passing game over a number of years, but for someone who played it at the level you played it at, why do teams kick past it so little when it's so much faster than hand-passing it? Yeah, it, it was very evident yesterday in the in the throne and, and Roscommon game, Ruby. Um, there's a couple of reasons for it. Um, it's become a possession-based game and players are being monitored and, and, and coached that they can't give away uh, possession. And the other thing, you know, so much depends on the opposition. Um, so I believe yesterday in the Cork and, and uh, Mead game, there was a lot of kick passing from both sides, maybe because both sides set up in an orthodox manner. There wasn't that many bodies back there. So that lends itself to a kicking game. But when you're faced with... Um, a blanket defence uh, and you may have the best player in Ireland standing up there but if there's two or three men around him Ruby the chances of you kicking that ball in and getting it to him is, is you know is going to be very low so that has resulted in this lateral hand and it's terrible to look at I'm not a fan of it and the more I've seen on it the more I've, I've watched it you're thinking something has to be done because it, it's it's penetrated now down to underage games whereby teams go out and they just if they lose the ball there's 15 men back there right away and inevitably you have to be patient you have to be whether you like it or not and the ball has to go back and forward across to try and open up gaps in there and it reduces the, the amount of kick passing so un, unless there's a rule change brought in whereby you must keep you know two or three players in the opposing 45 then uh, unfortunately you're, you're going to see much more of it Ruby How look there's no one could very few people could shoot or score with the regularity that you did but can or could more people be coached and taught to shoot from further out to counteract a blanket defence Yeah well I, I do think that's happening uh, I do think there's much more coaching going on in that regard and you know, I was down in Hyde Park yesterday. Some of the scores that Roscommon got from from distance, Niall Daly, for example, in, in particular, um, were exceptional. And you know, he may have, you know, he may not have been doing that four or five years ago. But such is, is the nature of the game that I do think players uh, that there is more coaching going on in in that regard, and especially for you know quality players and players who likes you know who like to get a shot away. If you're in closer to goal and you always have three or four men around you, then you know it's inevitable that you're going to come out further out the field to try and get uh, a bit of space. Darren McCurry did it, for example, in, in the second half. He kicked a great score from around 45 metres out uh, because he was getting more space out there rather than closer to goal. So, um, you know, to answer your question, it's so much to do with the way opposing teams set up. And you must be able to vary, you know, your game plan if you want to go out just with the one tactic. You know, teams are going to suss onto that, and it can be very easily uh, rectified. So you must be able to vary your game plan. And as a player, you have to play the keys, and you have to play what's in front of you. And likewise, you can't be as one-dimensional now, maybe as we used to be back in the day. So um, <laughs> it's definitely much more thinking and uh, required 
to get the better of your opponent, to get the better of the opposition. We haven't mentioned the dubs yet, Osti, because they're in Division 2, obviously, but they are they're still around. Um, they were out of the blocks on Saturday night against Kildare, and I guess we hadn't seen quite a lot of the players that we were expecting to see throughout the pre-season competition, but a lot of them were out in show on Saturday against Kildare, and it just felt like they were maybe getting some of the rust off, really. Yeah, look, I, I think watching the game, you, you kind of got a sense from early on that you know they were going to win the game, and it uh, it really felt that they were kind of keeping Kildare really at arm's length for for a lot of it. I think probably you know the big moment was the Finton goal early on. It kind of set the tone, mm-hmm. and they settled into their stride though. But um, looking at Kildare, like you know they came at them hard going down the home straight, like and they, they I think they outscored them six points to two. Um, so like Kildare should be probably walking away from that you know taking a lot of solace from it given that you know I think it was the Leinster final last year Dublin ran in 5-17 again them so they held them to 1-14 but um, you can you can see Dublin are just you know begin, you know they're, they're, they're building and they're just looking to find their groove again um, in terms of their setup and the way they want to play the game and that and likes to see Conor Callaghan back there again Finton mm-hmm. beginning to stretch his legs again you know Kieran Kilkenny back up and at it they still have all the ingredients there again to, to you know to, to, to mount a serious challenge for an Ireland this year Absolutely. Um, Osti, thank you so much. Peter as well, thank you so much for joining us and we will talk to you again. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. It is time now to talk football and Stephen Kelly is with us on the line. Stephen, Everton have got their man, Sean Dyche. It's official. Yeah, I know. Um, it's been, I think it's been in the pipeline for a little while. He was, there was a few names bounded about BLs and stuff and all, but just you felt that that wasn't going to be a good fit for what they needed straight away. And Dyche comes in with a wealth of experience in that league, in a team that's been in turmoil before and been able to steer the ship. So you, you kind of feel like it's a steady hand to come in and, and kind of look after him. But, you know, he's got a big task on his hands because this is so unsettled with so many different ways. And I'm sure the fans would be happy enough, but I think they see themselves as a big club. And I, I don't know whether they're going to think he's a long-term fix for what they want, but he's he's someone that they can definitely come in and, and kind of sort things out at the moment, I think. Stephen, is he just steady the ship, tighten things up, get a few draws and build, keeping them in the Premier League? Yeah, absolutely. He, what, what he does is he makes his players feel accountable for what they're doing on the pitch and he makes them really take charge of, of what they're doing. So I think that's exactly what Everton need. Everton need their players to understand the predicament they're in, know that they've got themselves into the situation and that they can get themselves out of it. Um, he'll look around the squad and think, there's, there's more than enough quality in here. Just how do I get them far and how do I get them being resilient? Um, defensively, they have to pick up. He knows Tarkowski well. Um, and you, you look at the squad you have you think he should be able to do something with them but it's just the resilience side of things and the men- mental side that he needs to get them right He's a tough two fixtures ahead although we mm. will probably say only one it's Arsenal <laughs> first then Liverpool and then he yeah. gets a little bit easier after that with Leeds, Villa mm. uh, Nottingham Forest and Brentford mm. you wouldn't really expect much from the Arsenal game just given how well they're doing at the moment but I'd say the Liverpool one when it comes around the 13th of February will be as intense as you're going to get. Oh, he, he, I think for him, that's a fixture he has to have his eye on. Think, you know what? 
if if I could go and get some sort of result against Liverpool, especially the way things have been with Everton and Liverpool over the past few years, the disparity between the two clubs, if he could get something in that game, you talk about getting the fans behind you and galvanising the club, that game could completely switch their season if he gets, if, he, if they show a level of kind of grit and determination to get a result in that match. And getting a result against Liverpool right now is probably manageable. I mean, Jurgen Klopp must be yeah. thinking, how does our look change? Oh, look, because mm-hmm. Brighton's first goal, I mean, when your look is out, that's what happens to you, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. Now, the, the, they're not getting the rub of the green, um, but, you know, managers at that level, they, they always talk about luck, but they always talk about, you know, creating your own luck. And that's what Liverpool just haven't been able to do that. They, they've, not, they've had too many players that are not firing that. And for for Liverpool to work for them to to be a team as successful as they have, you need to have out of the eleven, you need to have nine, ten players competing because of the level of energy they they expel in the match, the way they play. You need almost like you can have one player maybe off and the rest could carry. But with the way and the intensity that they played over the last few seasons, if there's two or three off, it just it just doesn't work for them. So that that's that's the issue. Could Fabinho have picked a worse person to stand on? Like Evan Ferguson, I know. devastating. I know. It's actually crazy because, what is it, probably 50% of the population aren't support Liverpool and all of them were like, no, when that happened. So it was like, you know, I, I think people are torn. Uh, you know, I haven't heard anything about what's, what's actually happened. Uh, you know, it looked mm-hmm. pretty bad. Um, and he went off on crutches. You see the scenes oh, afterwards where he's, where he's gone out. So you kind of like can hope for the best. A young lad, you would like to think he has... Resilience, young, young young legs will cover well. Hopefully, fingers crossed for him, and you know, hopefully, he's not going to stifle his progression too much because you, you get the impression he'll, wherever he is, he'll work hard, get back fit, and try and get himself back in the team as quick as he ha- he can. And I think they 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 feel like they've got a good one there, so I don't think it will uh, it will stifle them anyway. But hopefully, it's not not a long one. I don't think anyone's too bothered about Brighton though. It's all about Ireland and the qualifiers. And <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, we were hoping that he would maybe play get in the squad, but now we don't know. Yeah, and another thing, I think, I think as well, I think we've all been very guilty of, of getting ahead of ourselves mm. and young players kind of burst on the Premier League. And you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this, maybe, maybe this takes a little bit of pressure off him if he doesn't play because you know we're going to pin our hopes on this guy scoring a couple of goals against France, and yeah. you know it's probably probably a bit unrealistic to expect that of of a player. He's doing extremely well, and he's making great steady progression. But he's still extremely young, and um, you know he was 17 playing the 21s a lot while ago when we were watching a 48. So you know we got we got to kind of keep our, our our feet on the ground with him. And but I think he's definitely someone that that can lead the line for us really well. I've been watching Fabinho for a while now, and you're better placed than me to be able to judge this, mm. having played at the highest level. Is he just not able to tackle? I don't know. I think I think he just he just like that one as well. Like he, he goes in initially, but then yeah. he completely gets it wrong. I, like I can see what he's trying to do. He's trying to get his leg around, but there's no bend. Usually, when you're going in behind, you kind of arch your leg around to try and win the ball around the side of him. But he just kind of goes went straight through him there. It was so clumsy. It was almost like you know you see people used to give out about Paul Scholes and strikers making tackles, but but Fabinho's a defensive midfielder, so you think that that should be you know part of his yeah. yeah that should be part of his daily team. And what what I think what Fabinho does is his reading of the game and his interceptions are, are, are frightening when he's when he's on form and when he's in that in that role the way he he gets in passing lanes and stops the passing through it like he he was so effective for liverpool for for a long time because of his ability to almost just read the game and intercept passes tackling and he gets around people he's energetic but that's just waned as well that's gone off off the ball too it has most certainly gone off the boil. It was an FA Cup weekend. Arsenal, of course, are out along with Liverpool. But Spurs mm. are true. But you must have been looking at Fulham, Sunderland, 
one all, have to go to a replay now, they have to go north. Probably wasn't the result you wanted. No, not for Fulham, no. I think as well with the season, that's it's just a great capping for what's going well. You know, Premier League safety is, is their main thing, but they're, what, nine points off that does that magical 14 number. So they're, a great run in the FA Cup would, would be brilliant for them and just would be a sprinkling on top of what could be a wonderful season. And yeah, disappointing that they have to go there. And you know what, Sunderland's, they're, they're in great form. The, the, the seems like a place that, that, that's got got things going back again the fans are back on board and it's not going to be easy going there um, it'll be a difficult match it will indeed Stephen thanks a million Derby of course do play West Ham tonight in the last of the FA Cup fourth round matches that's all myself and Marie have time for Better the Silvers up next but we'll be back tomorrow evening thank you RTE 2FM